The novelty of social media has turned deadly. Did you know that? Social media used to be a, it was a fun thing that we all played with back in the mid-aughts when Steve Jobs gave us the mobile device in 2007 and then Facebook came right on the heels of that and all these other social media platforms. Those were wild times. Those were fun times. Those were naive times. We did not realize how deadly social media could be become and literally deadly as the suicide rates are increasing and there is just so many horrific things that we see and and many of these things are tied directly to social media. And what is really interesting is that Christians do not know how social media is eating away at the soul of the church. And when I say it's eating away at the soul of the church, I'm talking about the family because families make up uh, the local churches and social media is having a, a huge, horrendous horrific impact on the local church, meaning our families. And it's been so subtle, and it's been fun. When something is subtle and fun, we might want to pay attention as we are amusing ourselves to spiritual death. You see the play on words there, the word amuse. Muse means mind. Uh, the letter A negates meaning without the mind. And so when we are amusing ourselves, we are not using our brains and we are amusing ourselves to spiritual death. Not only that, we are exporting our cyber behavior to our children as they grow up in a world where gathering and worshiping and spurring one another on to loving good works, well, that is for a past generation. They have a new way of communing today, and they like it, and it is very contagious. In fact, we have a label for it. We call it a social contagion. The process of life in the cyber world happened in four strategic steps, and in this podcast, I want to walk through these four steps as to how we got to where we are today, the dangers of it, and then I trust I will be able to offer a few solutions, ways that we can navigate out of this cyber morass that we have found ourselves. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is episode 407. The title of it is The New and Dangerous Way Christians Build Community. If you want to watch the video of this podcast, you're welcome to do that. Go to episode 407 and you can watch the full presentation and video. Obviously, you can listen to the podcast. It's there too in the show notes. And then in these show notes, in addition to the video, the podcast, I have bulleted points. I have these four steps of how we gotten into this cyber mess that we're into today. There are several links also inside these show notes. And so if you do want to do a deeper dive into all things social media, I would encourage you to take advantage of episode 400. And seven. Recently, I was in Springfield, Missouri, and one of the meetings where I was teaching in Springfield at South Creek Church, uh, they asked me to do a talk on social media and technology, which I did. I also did a talk, uh, it was probably three years ago, 
at Calvary Chapel in Sarasota, Florida. So this is something that is happening more and more when I go out and speak. And then uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I was in Longmont, Longmont, uh, Colorado, where they asked me to speak specifically on transgenderism, which, by the way, is tied uh, to social media. And so more and more churches are asking me to speak on this subject. And it is a subject that we need to talk about. And that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this episode 407. I want to bring some of those things together. But what I would appeal to you, uh, I would appeal to you to go to the episode, look at the show notes, and then start uh, moving through these links. And you can spend a couple of months in in these show notes, uh, reading articles that I've written, uh, listening to podcasts, watching uh, videos, webinars specifically. In fact, I have the webinar, the actual talk that I did in Longmont, Colorado, is titled Transgenderism, I Think, Therefore, I am, meaning anything that we want to pretend to be, we can become. We call that identifying as. I identify as, for example, a female. I think that I am, therefore that I am. And they're calling it science, and these things are validated and affirmed by social media. So all of these things are tied together. And we need to get out in front of it because this is not going to stop. Uh, The world has figured out that you can use social media in such a way that it can control people's minds. In fact, as I get to step number four in this episode, I am going to talk about the new Tower of Babel. You remember in Genesis 11 where uh, the people came together and they were of one mind and they built the Tower of Babel and God said, well, there is nothing that they can't do. And so he confused the languages. Well, we have a new Tower of Babel today and that Tower of Babel is social media. And and what that means is everybody has to think the same way. It is group think. And anybody that doesn't think according to group think, they are canceled they are moved out uh, and they are they are they are censored they're no longer allowed to be part of civilization basically and that is the new tower of babel and that is where it's led to but uh, i am going to make a strong case that christians are complicit in what is going on here and i trust that it will spur many of us on to cut back on our social media habits, reduce the amount of technology that we have, and then begin to make a shift to where we're using technology and social media redemptively and not so much in the narcissistic ways in which we admit many people use social media today. And so this is episode 407. Again, it's titled, The New and Dangerous Way Christians Build Community. And what I would encourage you to do is is go and get these show notes, go through these links and really just do a deep dive, a crash course on all things cyberspace, social media, and technology. And so let's walk through these four, uh, these four steps of how we got to 
how we got ourselves to the Tower of Babel, which is step number four. Uh, the first thing that we did is that we minimized community. And what I mean by that is that it used to be, now some of you may not even know this, especially the younger generation, but it used to be when when I first became a Christian, and it's been this way for decades, generations even before that, where the church would gather at least minimally three times a week. It has become kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of talking about it. We say three to thrive, meaning that you would meet Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then that you would meet Wednesday night as well. I am not calling the church back to that because I don't think that is the most effective way to build community. And what I mean by that is because what that was is that we gathered and basically stared at the back of someone's head three times a week, and we were not really engaging each other in true community. It was. It is more of a monologue format to where we go and gather, stare at the back of somebody's head, and listen to someone monologue to us or preach God's Word. Now, please don't misunderstand. I am not minimizing the preaching of God's Word that is absolutely essential. And so it's not a negation of preaching God's word, but it's adding to, it's enhancing preaching God's word, plus having ways that the church can come together, a local church can come together and truly do community life. And so the three to thrive method, it is a, it is good uh, in theory, but it needs to be tweaked in some ways to where we're not just monologuing or listening to a monologue, but we're also dialoguing, which means we can have men's meetings, we can have uh, the ladies' meetings, we can have picnics. And by the way, I am not talking about uh, building exclusivity, meaning that we are, only, we are only meeting at the building. And you'll hear people talk this way. They'll say, we go to church, and that is an unfortunate way of talking about what the church is doing because that communicates that the building is the church. We are going to the church as opposed to we are the church. And so the church can gather, a local church, a local body of believers can gather anywhere at any time and enjoy each other. Now, one of those ways that they gather is at the local church building to where they can hear the preaching of God's word. And we always want to maintain a high view of the preaching of God's Word, but we want to make sure that we're also emphasizing and amplifying all the one another's in the New Testament. And there are a boatload of one another's. And the one another's imply that we are getting together and we are spurring one another on, as I mentioned earlier. And that's right out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And so we want to be spurring one another on to loving good works, as well as all the other one another's in the New Testament. But you do that in dialogue context, and it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, at a church building. But what has happened over the past couple of generations is that we have moved to this three to thrive gathering. And now uh, we're just meeting one time a week, like on Sunday morning, 
And again, the primary thing that we do on Sunday morning is a monologue uh, context, again, where we're staring at the back of someone's heads. Now, there has been a small group emphasis since the early uh, 90s where small groups have been a thing, and that's kind of an answer to uh, not meeting three times a week. And that's not a bad idea, but sometimes in our haste and in our overreaction, we can react in such a way that we jump from one ditch to the other. And so rather than gathering as much as we used to, we gather uh, not as often as we used to. And I remember when I was first became a believer in 1984, uh, I would show up Sunday morning and Sunday night at the local church building uh, for uh, church meetings. And then we would show up on Wednesday night, of course, and then we would show up on Tuesday night to go evangelizing, and then we'd show up Thursday uh, for a choir practice and Awana programs. Uh, it's kind of a kid's ministry for those not familiar with the Awana programs. And then on Saturday, we would gather with some folks of the uh, of our local church, and so we were meeting like five times a week, and we were building true community, and that is really a, a great idea, but that's a foreign concept for the local for many people who are part of the of a local church today that we just do not gather that way. Now, what has happened with the lack of gathering physically in real time in space? Then in 2007, we received the iPhone, and then on the heels of that, we started receiving, or they started building social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, and and now there are literally hundreds of them. And so what has happened is that these social cyber communities have have come in and they have subtly replaced the gathering and by in part by taking up so much of our time that now we have I call it a false intimacy. Uh, it's not real intimacy. And there's many reasons that this is palatable for so many people. Part of it is is that people have been hurt by the local church, and so they like these safe, somewhat risk-free communities, these cyber communities, to where it is a false intimacy, to where it feels like we're kind of intimate, but yet we're only seeing the front facing of each other. We aren't seeing the darker sides of our lives. And then if someone does something that you don't like, well, I mean, you can unfriend them and that is the end of that relationship. And so it kind of gives the idea of intimacy and relationship, but in reality, it's not. I remember a number of years ago when we were traveling from Scottsdale, Arizona to Bozeman, Montana, we were coming up through Utah. And as we were coming up, we went through uh, Salt Lake City. And I remember driving down the interstate and I I saw along these green velvety mountain range of I guess it was the part of the Rocky Mountains. And all along the way, there were these communities. And so there was the interstate going along here, and then there was the backdrop of this mountain range. And then between the mountain range and the interstate were just these communities. And every so often, there'd be a new community that would pop up. And in every one of them, you would see a white steepled building. And it was like in the middle of each one of these communities all along the interstate. Now, those were Mormons. Those were not churches as far as a Christian church is concerned. But as I was looking at that, it was a striking picture that it used to be where the church building, and let's say a white church building with a steeple, 
It was the social center of the community. That is where people gathered. Uh, That's where my grandmother went to school early on. I mean, the church building was the social center of the community, and that's how life has been for hundreds of years. Well, now with the reducing of gathering at the building and gathering as a local body altogether, because we minimize that in part because we're so busy, we're much busier than we used to be, and we're busy in a different kind of way. And then came social media communities, and so now we can kind of get our social community fix on, and it's easier to do that, but that has been the subtle replacement. And so what we need to think about is that how is social media getting in the way of what we should be doing as a body of believers? But step number one in building the Tower of Babel has been the minimizing of the actual real-time and space community. And what has happened, social media has come into that void. Now, one of the things that you will also see is that when many of these kids turn 18 and go off to college, they don't don't sense a void in a church attendance or a lacking in church community because they have already established these social media connections on these platforms. And so they can take uh, their church community with them on a device, a little piece of glass that they can slip in their pocket, rectangular piece of glass, and they can take their community with them. And so there's really no compelling reason for them to uh, be sad or uh, desire to be part of a real-life community because they're so connected on the internet. And so we've minimized community step one, and then social media has come in and has stepped into that void. And then number two, what we have done is that we have normalized these cyber communities. And so not only did the cyber communities come into our space and take up our time, uh, but we've gone gaga over it. We have normalized it. And sometimes I wonder why parents are surprised that their children love social media so much when they have spent years normalizing social media by their usage of it. What I mean by the normalization of social media is when parents use it all the time uh, to share their pictures, to share where they had dinner or which beach they vacationed or who they, uh, what famous person they got to uh, hear preach. And when we plaster these uh, photographs, all over social media. We are normalizing this behavior. And and sometimes I, I wonder, you know, why are parents even surprised that their children are imitating that? Children will imitate many things that the parents do. I mean, this is what our parents do. And so this is what I do as well. And when it comes to social media, it doesn't take any kind of coercing manipulation or gaslighting or any other kind the over-the-top way to convince kids to use social media. You don't have to do that at all. In fact, they will come to you and they will say, I want a phone. Uh, I want to be on social media. I want to be connected on Instagram or TikTok or whatever the platform is. And so there is no coercion uh, that a parent has to do. It is the kids who will come and manipulate the parents, but the parents have already normalized the behavior. They have made it a thing 
thing. And my hope is that Christians will get over this fat and get get over the novelty of Facebook and other social media platforms. I call it an unwitting narcissism, which is the, it's the best spin that I can put on it when parents have to show you where they are or what game they attended or what party they had or what beach they went to. Minimally, it is an unwitting narcissism. The truth is, I don't care where you went to. I don't care what beach you went to or what mountain you're standing in front of or what meal you had or what famous person that you got to hear preach. I don't care. I really don't. Uh, and, and I don't follow that stuff. I don't. Uh, our sole reason for using social media is to spread the fame of Christ, to put our content out there, not to follow people to see what they had to eat or what, what new thing, piece of furniture they bought or so forth and so on. It is, uh, at best, it is unwitting narcissism. It is the vanity mirror in our bathrooms where we, we look at ourselves and, and we are judging ourselves and appreciating ourselves, uh, but now we have taken that and we put the vanity mirror in technology, in cyberspace, and now we want other people uh, to look at it too. And we measure that, by the way, to see how many likes we have. And you do that. I mean, you know you do that. I mean, did someone like it? It, it, it is just it's flabbergasting to me when I uh, see a lady uh, specifically uh, when she gets a new hairstyle or makeup and she puts her picture on social media. And the first thing people do is, oh, you look beautiful. You look beautiful. You look beautiful. It is unwitting narcissism or it just may be downright narcissism. But what we're doing is that we are normalizing this behavior. And so when our children come along, well, it, that is exactly what they want to do. And of course, all of their peers are uh, putting pressure on them uh, to be able to get on with it too. So they too can get into cyberspace. So they too uh, can get on these platforms. This is episode 407, the new and dangerous way Christians build community. Step number one, we minimize real time and space community. And step number two, we normalize cyber community. And then step number three, we encourage peer mentoring. I want to read a couple of quotes to you. One of those is by Nancy Piercy, an apologist, a person who thinks about worldview issues. She said, in recent decades, social media is not healthy for kids. The problem is that peers do not provide stable, reliable, mature love that children need, which means that children who are peer-directed will always be insecure. What Nancy Piercy is saying is that because many homes are dysfunctional, that they are unstable, and kids are looking for stable, reliable, mature love, and if the parents do not provide it, then there is this temptation out in front of them in social media to where these kids now will build what they perceived to be stable, reliable, mature love through peer-directed relationships. I have an attorney friend named Rob. I've known him for uh, many years, and I remember him telling me probably 15 years ago, he said, I don't want any six-year-old discipling my six-year-old. And he, he also said, 
I know that no parent wants my six-year-old discipling their six-year-old. He was making a case for uh, children spending time with adults. That's something that has always been important to us, that we strategically put our children with adults, not just us, but also other stable, mature adults so that they could receive uh, that kind of directed influence from those who are much older than them. But now what is happening, and Nancy Piercy is saying this, is that children who are craving for a relationship, it is natural and normal for them, because we have normalized it, to have peer-directed relationships, which will also always keep them insecure. And what she means by insecure is uh, that uh, those kind of communities are full of fear of man. Uh, another writer, Gabor Matri, said uh, in his book, Hold On to Your Kids, subtitle, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. He said this, for the first time in history of young people, young people are turning for instruction, modeling, and guidance, not to mothers, fathers, teachers, and other responsible adults, but to people whom nature would never intended to place in a parenting role, their own peers. They are not manageable, teachable, or uh, nurturing because they no longer take their cues from us, talking about these kids. They're no longer manageable, teachable, or nurturing because they are not taking their cues from us. Instead, children are being brought up by immature persons who cannot possibly guide them to maturity. That's from the book, Hold On to Our Kids. And then Nancy Piercy says again, she says, psychologists tell us that children thrive only if they form a strong, stable attachment to a caring adult. But social media is so ubiquitous today that every young child, children are, uh, every younger child, they're forming their primary attachment to their peers, even when they are still living at home, even when they have loving, conscientious parents. Peer pressure is alienating children from those who love them most. One study found that a father-teen interactions in the United States today are simply not strong enough to transmit the knowledge, values, attitudes, and skills that adult males should pass on to their children. As a result, children are losing touch with the wider perspective of adults. Their perspective becomes narrow and obsessive. Today, the most common, common cause of suicide among young people is not rejection by their parents, but rejection by their peers. And so step number one, we have minimized real-life community, the local church. Step number two, we normalize cyber community. Step number three, we have encouraged peer mentoring. And then step number four, we now have the new Tower of Babel. Social media is so strong today. In fact, I have two, I have an article here that you're welcome to uh, read by Jonathan Haidt who wrote the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, that I read a year or so ago. It is a good book to read. He has an Atlantic article here that I would encourage you where he talks about how we have created the new Tower of Babel. And then if you want to listen to an interview uh, with Jonathan Haidt, you can do that as Barry Weiss uh, interviewed Jonathan about this idea of the Tower of Babel and how social media is controlling our lives now. That interview and also his article are 
linked here in episode 407. We are now of one mind and one thought. Let me give you three illustrations of how uh, of that, and you can come up with many others. Uh, but one illustration of that, obviously, is the cancel culture. If you don't believe in the Tower of Babel, if you don't get on with building this Tower of Babel with everybody else, meaning social media, you will be canceled. You'll be alienated. You'll be ostracized. You will be moved off the scene. You will be canceled. Also, the effect of the Tower of Babel, as Nancy Piercy was saying, is that the suicide rates are spiking. They are off the chart. In addition to that, gender transition is off the charts as well. It spiked in 2011. It spiked again in 2018 because of this social contagion that comes through social media. As Nancy Piercy was saying, the suicide rates are, are uh, spike. The suicide rates are spiking because of the peer pressure. It's not the rejection of parents, but it's the rejection of other teens, which can only ha- is only happening on social media. And of course, these kids that are transitioning, believing that they are born in the wrong body. They're being educated by social media primarily. Therefore, we have the Tower of Babel where everyone is one thought. And again, if you're not, if you don't get on with that, you will be canceled. This is episode 407, The New and Dangerous Way Christians Build Community. I want to wrap up by just asking you a few questions that I trust that you will think about. And I appeal to you to make some changes in your life. Uh, one of those is, is what is one way that you can back out or, or reduce your social media usage? What is one way that you can reduce your social media usage? I would encourage you to think about that and, and, and whatever that is that you, you do it. Number two, what is your plan to reduce your device time? By taking your device and, and cutting it off, uh, muting it. And there are so many, you, you can Google this, and it, it would probably be worth your time to do it, is that uh, how can I use technology less? How do I reduce uh, phone usage? How can I reduce uh getting on social media, and you'll find a lot of tips, and and many of them, I mean, they're really good, and I've looked at them before, and I would encourage you just to do the due diligence. Get on social media and learn how to use uh, device time less. And then also, uh, what changes do you need to make based on what you have heard in this podcast? And then I would like for you to think about what does it mean to use technology and social media redemptively? This is something that we have been doing for a decade and a half now you can use social media there is a right way to do it you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas if you have a question for rick you can let him know by sending him a note through his website rickthomas.net that's rickthomas.net thanks for listening enjoy your coffee